With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you about Squarespace Courses. It has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. You can create engaging content your audience is going to love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hello, everyone. It's October 23rd, 2016. What? No, but this is Chuck from the future past telling you to listen to the selects pick for the week. Jellyfish, colon, even cooler than the octopi? You decide. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant with Jerry. This is Stuff You Should Know. Oh, man. Let's start over. All right. No, let's not. Okay. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I'm jet lagged still. I'm coming out of it for sure, but yeah, I'm a little jet like. I just uh, was explaining off mic that my body is at 4.30 or 5 every morning. It says, get up, dummy. It's 10, 15, 11. Yeah. And I go, no, it's not. It's dark. <laughs> is it? No. It's get up. Internal struggle. And it's a British voice, too. It's like, get up. You need your beans and blood sausage. And, and pork pies. How was that? Oh, man, I want another one so bad. You know, save that. Okay. Uh, my jet lag is not so much pronounced in the morning. It's just at 9.30 at night, I fall over wherever I'm standing or sitting. <laughs> You're just like cooking in a walk, and you just fall face <laughs> yeah, forward into face it. Face first. <laughs> you notice the burn face? Yeah, that's dangerous. Well, it hurt pretty bad, because that walk grease gets pretty hot. It does. Walk. What is this, <laughs> like 1987? What? Walks? Who walks still? Dude, are you kidding me? No. Entire continents of people walk. Oh, well, sure. But I just, I guess I just imagined like wearing a tennis sweater tied around my oh. neck and. Well, I didn't say fondue. I should sure, have. Yeah. You're having a fondue, fondue party. Fondue, right? You fall face that's, first that's into 70s. a pot of boiling cheese. That's pretty 70s. You know what? If you ever want a fondue pot and like, just because you think it'd be fun to have a fondue party. Mm-hmm. Don't buy one new. Just go to Goodwill. <laughs> Get one, sure, yeah. Buy one for like $3. Yeah. You mean I have an unused one? Sure. Is it pea green? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know if I would cook out of a pea green anything. No? Yeah. All right. No, I wouldn't. Pea green refrigerator? Wouldn't eat out of it. Oh, yeah. Pea green car? I'd just throw up any time I went to go drive. <laughs> uh... I tell you what I am excited about though. Jellyfish? Is, yeah, this is now officially my second favorite seafaring creature. After octopus? Yeah. Sis? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And, and this was close too. Like the jellyfish was really tugging at my heartstrings. 
Oh, really? Yeah, and the and the octopus just kept saying, you know, what? Remember me? Chuck, what about me? Remember the chromatophores? Watch this. Bam! <laughs> yeah. I looks like something completely different. Right. And then I remembered. I was like, all right, octopus, you're right. Right. Jellyfish can't do that. I'm Rocky the Squirrel. Now I'm a Roman soldier. <laughs> now I'm a cornucopia of vegetables and an oil painting. Uh, <laughs> they are pretty cool. Yeah, but the jellyfish is really amazing. Yeah, the the octopuses though, they're like. They're doing it on purpose. The jellyfish just accidentally kind of stumbles backwards into awesomeness, you know? Well, after 500 million years of practice. Maybe 700 million. Yeah. We'll see. It's amazing. So uh, when you're talking about jellyfish, a lot of people say, well, there's a jellyfish, that's a jellyfish, that's a jellyfish. That lady walking down the street with the leash got a jellyfish on the end of it. Right. And, and you would say jellyfish, jellyfish, comb jelly, dog. Right. Right? Or weird cat lady who walks her cat. Yeah. That's unwholesome. That's as unwholesome as walking a jellyfish down the street <laughs> on a leash. So there are such things as comb jellies. Yep. And there's jellyfish. And you out there who's lived maybe 10, 20 years on this planet or more yes. have probably seen them both. But it turns out that they look very similar. Yeah. But as we're finding out, as we get deeper and deeper into using genetics to do taxonomy rather than our peepers, sure. that doesn't necessarily mean they're related. And actually, yeah. there's, there's some tremendous debate b- between just how closely related jellyfish and comb jellies are. Tremendous debate? Yes. Or very subdued. It depends on where you are. Among like 50 people. If you're in the jellyfish department of some, like uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, yeah. I'll bet it gets nuts. A little vigorous. Yeah. They down some, uh, some old English 40. Uh, <laughs> right. Malt liquor yeah. and, and argue. And to get out the brass knuckles. About taxonomy. Uh, so the, the two phyla, they are different. Uh, we're talking respectively for jellyfish and comb jellies, uh, Nidaria and Tanophora. Yeah, nice. And there's seas before both of them. They're both silent. So it looks like Cenobites and Sephora. Yeah. <laughs> Cenobites? Yeah. What is that, a Cenobun? That's No, Cenobites. They were the monsters in uh, Hellraiser. Oh, I thought it was like a Cinnabon that was in handy bite-sized pieces. That's a Cinnabite. These are Cinnabites. Gotcha. Where, where did this research come from, by the way? Big shout out. Smithsonian. They yeah. have a, a site called the Ocean Portal. Amazing. That has all sorts of great stuff on it. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Smithsonian. No. That's their, their logo. <laughs> there's, there's uh, this that forms the basis of this one, but I also want to give a huge shout out to another article I read a while back that I went back and reread. Actually, it's called "They're Taking Over," and it was a New York yeah. Review of Books article on it. Yeah. Uh, well, it reviewed a book on jellyfish. Yeah, specifically jellyfish blooms, or when you see on the news, like, oh my gosh, there's five thousand jellyfish right here, right now. Right. Or 33,000 square miles of right. jellyfish. But we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. So there's jellyfish and comb jellies, and they're, we don't know if they're related. They look a lot alike. They're very much, um, they seem related. So we're going to talk about both. Yes. Right? So let's talk about them, Chuck. All right. Well, we'll start off with the body uh, because, well, they're kind of all body. Uh, they Both jellyfish and comb jellies have uh, they have a lot of differences, but... It, you know, when you look under the hood, they have a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. which is why you would expect when people use their peepers, they would just think, well, yeah, of course they're the same. Look at them. Yeah. Don't, don't think too. Don't overthink it. Yeah. 
That was early science. Right. Don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, both of them have a couple of uh, major cell layers, the external epidermis and then the internal one called the gastrodermis. Mm-hmm. And in between those is what you think of as jellyfish. Yeah. That's the mesoglia. Yeah, which is a great name for that. And it's... The filling. Yeah. You know? It's, it's 95, and in fact, jellyfish and comb jellies are about 95% water. Yeah, seawater, actually. Salt and water, they're basically made up of the sea, I saw put somewhere. Yeah. You know? It's amazing. Um, so, they, they have basically one mouth where um, stuff goes in and comes out. Uh-huh. It's like a... A mouth, an oral anus, basically. Yeah, I don't even know if they refer to it as a mouth, do they? Like somewhere in this thing, didn't they call it literally like a body hole or something? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a pretty basic basic it organism, does, but it, it does, does a lot pretty, of things. Yeah, so it's not. Yeah, when you think of mouth, you just think eating, not necessarily. Hey, let's put some sperm and egg in there too. Right. It's like all purpose. Yeah. But they don't necessarily need a mouth for eating because apparently they can absorb nutrients, like, just through their skin. Yeah, so they, ha- they don't have a stomach. They don't have intestines. Right. They don't have lungs. They're just like, get in, my, get in my skin, nutrients. Yeah, and oxygen. And if you think about it, then, they don't need lungs. Nope. They don't need, uh, like, a, a, they don't need um, a mouth, so they don't need to chew. Right. They, all this stuff requires a lot of energy. They actually are extraordinarily efficient organisms. Sure. So they get a lot more energy out of the stuff that they take in yeah. than other things, which actually gives them a huge advantage, as we'll see later. Uh, so the outer cells, they have this uh, epidermis, like we said, and it has what's called a nerve net. And it's just this net of nerves, mm-hmm. literally, um, and that it's, it's, it's their nervous system, basically. Yeah. And it's the, it's the most basic, um, I guess, brain-like structure of any organism on the planet. Yeah. Of, of any uh, multicellular organism, I guess. That's right. And so in the nerve net, not only does it have nerves, it also has some sort of specialized cells, like some that detect light, so they can know that they need to move away from that boat spotlight. Sure. Uh, and then some that tell them whether they're moving up or down or whether they're upside down. Yeah, you big dummies. That's a that's a big one. Yeah. You think about it, but I mean, like, that's... If you don't have eyeballs. No, but this is the weird part. Man, this is so disturbing to me. This is almost as disturbing as squid having beaks. Okay. Some types of jellies, box jellies in particular. Yeah. Um, box jellyfish... Have eyes. Yeah. They have retinas. That's creepy. Lenses. Uh But they don't have a brain. So scientists are like, how how are you processing these images that you're clearly taking in and responding to? Like we've shown you pictures of like um, uh, Cheryl Ladd and you like gave a thumbs up. So obviously (laughs) you can use these eyes, but how are you sorting these images you know? Yeah, they think it's the, that nerve ring, but they're not sure. Right. And that's a ring around uh, its concentration of nerves, basically, that they haven't figured out yet. But they think that's no. like, therein is the secret. Right. It'd be like, um, it, it'd be like, no, I can't come up with a good analogy. <laughs> There's a million of them out there, but I'm yeah. not, I'm still jet lagged, I guess. You'll think of one. I just want to apologize to everybody because that could have been great. I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, 
so comb jellies, they have a few uh, things that the, the regular jelly does not have. Uh, most notably, the comb. They're named for these uh, cilia, these giant fused cilia. There's eight rows uh, up and down their bodies, and they basically are their ways of locomoting. They act like little bitty oars paddling around in the water. Yeah. And there are other animals that do this, but the, the comb jelly is the largest one to do this and to use this kind of locomotion. Right. And it looks like a rainbow. If you look one up, you think it might be bioluminescent, but it's not. It's just light catching the cilia and scattering it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It is quite beautiful. But that's the thing that, that separates comb jellies from je- jellyfish most um, pronouncedly, right? Yeah. Because a lot of their um, activities and just the the stuff that they do sure. is fairly similar. The TV they watch. Yeah. But their means of locomotion are, are really the big, the huge distinction. Yeah. the uh, A lot of the comb jellies have a single pair, just two tentacles, but it looks like more because they branch out. Right. Um, and they use those like little fishing lines because they have sticky cells, uh, coloblast at the end. And this is different. Uh Big time than jellyfish, they don't sting. No, they use um, glue. Yeah. Which so, is pretty neat. So you won't be stung by a comb jelly. So just r- swim up and hug one. Yeah. They, they love it when you do that. <laughs> so um, when you think of a jellyfish, like a true jelly is what, what they're called, um, they're, you think of like kind of this bell-shaped umbrella-shaped thing with the tentacles hanging down. Yeah, beautiful. And if it's a jellyfish, that's actually one of two forms that it will take in its lifetime. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's the Medusa form. Pretty and neat. And it's, it's the adult form. Yeah. There's a juvenile form called a polyp. And um, depending on when it is in its life cycle, it will either be in, in Medusa form or polyp form. Yeah, and we'll get into this a little more of the life cycle, but a polyp can end up becoming a Medusa, mm-hmm. or just might be happy as a polyp. And just stay as a polyp and create more Medusae. Yeah, and the polyp looks like, um, it almost looks like a plant. It yeah. looks like a little stalk attached to something, right. uh, usually the sand, or as we'll see, maybe a, a oil rig out in the middle of the ocean or something. Or Cheryl Ladd. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because she's, she, she's a deep water dweller at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> So it looks like a little plant. It's got a, it looks like a little stalk, and then the uh, tentacles are blooming out of it almost like a flower. Yeah, like a, an anemone or something like that. Yeah, and sometimes you see them, uh, many, many of them together in a colony. And you think, well, that's an amazing plant. That's actually a jelly. Yeah. Pretty cool. You would be able to tell if you poked it with your finger. <laughs> that's right. So the size among jellies and, and um, comb jellies are... It, it, I mean, some of them are just microscopic. Yeah. Others get pretty big. There's one called the lion's mane jellyfish, which on the whole, across like the whole species, yeah. they are the largest jellyfish known to humankind. Did you see this thing? Yeah. It They're, looks like Photoshop when you see a uh, a scuba diver up next to one of yeah, these. Yeah, it definitely does. Like the the bell actually gets to be six feet wide. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, and the tentacles are like... Um, 49 feet long, 50 feet long. Yeah. And some some get bigger than that, but that's, you know, the average size of one of those. This is pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I, they're not to be feared, but swimming up to something that large and that kind of creepy looking is not for me. Yeah. That's all I'll say. That eats anything. It'll eat anything. Like people? Yeah. <laughs> no, it won't eat a person. 
Yeah, I don't know. If it were big enough, it it might. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the various types. Um, we'll start with uh, uh, Nadaria, which is the the jellyfish itself, not the comb. Uh, there are more than 10,000 species, uh, and about 4,000 or fewer, actually, are what we think of as the true jelly, the, the medusa that we know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within that, uh, there are quite a few different types, uh, one of which is the uh, Scyphozoa. And this is the most common true jellyfish that you can imagine. Right. When you picture jellyfish in your mind, uh, you're probably thinking of the Scyphozoa. Right. Um, the Hydrozoa are... Um, Imposters. Well, they're the, <laughs> they're the ones who... They spend most of their time as polyps, right? So the Scyphozoa spend most of their time in the medusa phase. Yeah. The um, hydrozoa are the ones that look like plants at the bottom and are just reproducing like mad. Right. Um, and they actually can come together and create what are called colonial siphonophores. Whoa. And that's a, you know, a, a Portuguese man of war? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So that is actually not a true jellyfish. It's actually a collection it's a it's a colony that comes together to act like one large organism, right? Oh wow! And it's made up of persons. So like, there's the person that is in charge of digestion. There's the person that's in charge of catching prey. There's the person that's in charge of locomotion. And rather than these things being body parts, they're actually individual organisms that are genetically identical to one another because they all come from the same egg. Yeah. But they're actually a colony. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. imagine if your organs were various actual organisms yeah, yeah. that came together to make you. It's like the That's... polyphonic spree of uh, <laughs> the ocean world. Exactly. It's amazing. That's exactly what I was driving at. Uh, next up, we have the Cubozoa. Uh, and that's, you mentioned the box jellyfish. Uh, they look like a box. It's more squared looking. Those are the most dangerous ones. Yeah, they have the most potent venom. And it is... Of not serious just, stuff. Not just of jellyfish, of any animal on the planet. Yeah. The sea wasp has the most powerful uh, venom for humans, I should say. The sea wasp. Isn't that just awesome sounding? Yeah. That sounds like something you want to avoid at all costs. Yeah. Uh, so these guys are the ones that have a more complex nervous system uh, that have the the eyes, right? Yeah. With the corneas and things. Yeah. Is, so they're the most deadly. And they're looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> They're saying, I'm coming for you. Uh, the Starozoa uh, stalked jellyfishes, and they don't float. Uh, they are actually like to cling on to things and attach to things. Yeah. And they're mainly cold water. But all you can find most all kinds, or not all kinds, you can find some kind of jellyfish in almost any kind of water, any kind of ocean water in the world. Well, not just that. There, some thrive in freshwater. There's a type of jellyfish that is um, all over the Great Lakes. Oh, uh, yeah. It was originally, it's, that. it's native to China, and they think that it was brought over originally from China to England uh-huh. in like a, a water lily shipment. Oh. Because it was first discovered in the West in uh, like garden ponds. Yeah. And it somehow made its way to the Great Lakes. Crazy. And now there's a freshwater jellyfish that's about, I think, the size of your thumbnail, depending on what size your thumbnail is, <laughs> in the Great Lakes. Yeah. That's a jellyfish, and it's a true jellyfish. Wow, and we should say also with um, jellyfish locomotion, they don't use the ciliae like a comb jellyfish does. They, uh, in medusa form, 
expand and contract the yeah. bell, right? So beautiful. And I, I was reading, I think it was a Scientific American or Popular Science, one of those two. I'll post uh-huh. it on the podcast page. But it was, they some researchers examined how jellyfish move. And they found that not only are they like um, able to move when they when they expand and then contract mm-hmm. in the resting motion of their bell, a vortex actually forms in the water above them oh. and moves beneath them and moves them up that way. So they're wow. constantly moving, but they're only exerting like half of the energy needed to move forward, to propel forward or upward, huh. right? So that's even one more way that they're an incredibly efficient type yeah. of animal. Yeah. Without a brain, they're pretty smart. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, should we take a break? Yeah. All right, we'll take a break, and we're going to come back and uh, dive into the the wonderful world of comb jellies. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Drivers panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want, guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Visit ebaymotors.com for more. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So jump in, buckle up, and listen to Car and Driver's Into Cars, available wherever you get podcasts. All right, so we talked about just a few of the uh, standard jellyfish. Uh, the comb jellies are way, way fewer species of the tinnophores. Um, we're talking, I think, 10,000 for the other. This is about 100 to 150. Yeah, not even 150,000, 150. Yeah. But they're saying that it's possible that the, these are just the ones we are aware of because um, we've encountered them in coastal waters, that yeah. there may be way more in deep sea. Yeah, they don't know much about those guys, right? Right. And the ones that are in deep sea that we've encountered tend to be so fragile that we can't collect them. Yeah, because they're not tough because they don't have to put up with uh, no, the currents and waves. And, yeah, they yeah. just float out there and yeah. you look at them too hard and they crumble. 
Um, so one type of a comb jelly is uh, sidipid, uh, and they are all round. They're spherical or oval. They have those branch tentacles that we talked about. Right. And those tentacles are a little unique in that they can actually draw them back into the body. When it's cold. Yeah, which is pretty cool. <laughs> really? No. Oh, okay. See, I believed it. Uh, yeah, and they have like sheaths on yeah. the sides of their mouths that it draws back into, which is pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. Um, then there's lobates. Yeah. Uh, which have lobes on the sides, right? Yeah. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> they have the lobes and that's what they're known for. Yeah. Baroids, these are kind of cool. These are the, the dudes that have no tentacles. Uh, so the way they eat is they have a big, big mouth yeah. that draws in a lot of stuff and then a very tight, almost zipper-like thing that shuts. And then they can shut that mouth really hard right. and just mush all that stuff up. Well, they they have cilia inside their mouths that act like teeths that pull their prey apart alive. Teeths? Tooths. <laughs> Teeth. Yeah. Oh, man. That was weird. Jet lag. Yep. Um but the little the teeth just pick at like their prey and just pull them apart. It dissolves them basically mechanically. Yeah. Amazing. Have you ever seen a video of um, the uh, the pelican who's just standing there and there's a pigeon like on the ground right in front of him? No. And all of a sudden the pigeon the pelican just eats the pigeon and the pigeon's like trying to get out of the pelican's like huge mouth. No. And the pelican's just sitting there like nothing's happening and then finally like the pigeon stops moving. It is really disturbing. Wow. Because you, you you know, like, pelicans don't normally eat live pigeons, so there was, like, there was something wrong with this pelican or... Yeah, yeah. It was just... And then just the so, steely, reserve, re, like, no remorse whatsoever. Yeah. It's a it's a disconcerting video. Wow. Especially if you're a pigeon lover, which I, I'm not. I'm, it's not like I hate pigeons, but... Yeah. You don't want to see them get, you know... Eaten. Eaten by a pelican. Yeah. It was, it's weird. That is totally strange. Where do you find this stuff? <laughs> just around. It's so weird. <laughs> I think Yumi showed me that one. Yeah, you guys always have a lot of weird videos <laughs> at your fingertips. You and Yumi are just always talking about, like, did you see the one where, you know, yeah. the pelican ate the pigeon? Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. That's pretty neat. Sure. Um, comb jellies, uh, distribution-wise, they are also all over the oceans. Uh, they do prefer a little warmer water, though, but you can find them anywhere. Right. Um, so we were talking earlier about the fact that they are from different phyla and that there's this, you know, drunken argument going on among scientists. At the Monterey Bay Aquarium. About how, how closely related they are. Um, they used to all be described as uh, selenorata. Which is hollow-bellied. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. Makes sense. But they don't, they don't say that anymore. No. Not in these PC Man, times. Man, if you want to be ridiculed... <laughs> By your peers, call them that. Uh, but some people say, you know, they're sister groups. Some people say, nope, they're not even that closely related. Uh, so the debate rages on, I guess. Yep. So um, what, what's interesting is that we even know how long jellies have been around because they're, they have no solid parts. Yeah, you'd think it'd be hard to find a fossil. Or no, they have gelatinous parts. They don't have any hardened parts yeah that would be fossilized easily but there have been some discoveries some amazing discoveries of jellyfish and um comb jellies from about 500 million years ago it's the i, I believe the oldest known specimens found and there's this one found in uh utah because apparently utah used to be a shallow inland sea and it had these jellyfish in it and i guess something happened to this jellyfish it was crushed by 
a rock yeah. <laughs> something. It's a lot of pressure, I would think. But all of a sudden, it just captured it because it's, it's like a perfect, it's like a drawing of a jellyfish yeah. in a rock. It's amazing. Um, and it's the oldest fossil, and it's 500 million years old. So it was a pretty lucky find, actually, to that find this, this jellyfish that should not have been fossilized, that was fossilized. So we do know that they're um, about 200 or 150 million years older than fish. Fish wow. weren't even around by then. Man. Um, and they think that possibly sea comb or jelly comb, or sorry, comb jellies yeah. were, um, it's possible they were the earliest animals to branch off even more, even earlier than sponges. Well, didn't they find that the jellyfish was the first animal in the sea that didn't just float along like a dummy? Yeah. That actually used muscles to swim places? Yeah, and it was possible it was the comb jellies that did that. So wow. it's, it's possible the comb jellies branched off from the tree of life. Uh-huh. So it's just one type of animal. Then all of a sudden there's a comb jelly, right? What is this black magic you speak of? <laughs> right? And then maybe the jellyfish at some later point branched off of the comb jelly, right? Yeah. Um, but either way, it would have been the comb jelly and or the jellyfish that were the first to say, we're going this way. Yeah, you guys are just floating around like a bunch of morons yeah, we, waiting for food to hit you. We're embarrassed for you. Well, speaking of food, uh, they are uh, all carnivorous, and they eat, like you said, they'll eat anything. They, they love plankton, but they eat fish, they eat crustaceans, some eat other jellyfish, uh, which is disgusting. Um, and those uh, nematocysts and coloblasts, the stingers or the glue guns, um, they are good for defense, but uh, there are 150 animals that also eat the jellies, uh, fish and sea turtles. Yeah. Uh, there's the sunfish loves them. Leatherback sea turtles love them. They they journey to find them. Yeah, that's how much they love them. The Chinese. Yeah, they eat human beings. Eat jellyfish. Yeah, there's, it's apparently a wedding delicacy in China. Oh, uh, really? And has been for about fifteen, sixteen hundred years. Huh. Yeah. Ours is uh, catered salmon and uh, <laughs> chicken marbella. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, 425,000 tons of jellyfish are caught each year in 15 countries, uh, mainly in Southeast Asia is where they're eating these. Yeah, but um, I read that Georgia, our state of Georgia, oh wow, um, has a commercial jellyfish fishery. Really? Yeah. Big Jim's jellies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would eat. Preserved in moonshine. You'd totally eat jellyfish, wouldn't you? Sure, I would try it. Yeah. Apparently, it's also, um, it's uh, served in Japan, too. It's salted. Ooh. Which would be good. Uh, I would try it. Raw, I, well, I would try raw jellyfish and sushi or something like that, but I, I would guess that salted strips of jellyfish are probably vastly preferable. I'm not uh, nearly as adventurous as you with my, my mouth and my stomach, <laughs> but uh, I might try jellyfish, even though I'm talking about how much I love it. <laughs> you just cry while you ate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look what they've done to you. You were so beautiful once. <laughs> um, well, I would eat um, woolly mammoth. Oh, yeah, and you so, like them. Yeah. Uh, you got to bring floss when you eat woolly mammoth. Supposedly that does nothing. Have you heard about that? Oh, yeah. The, the new study says flossing is no good. Well, I think we talked about that, I didn't we? I think what they said... It depends on who you talk to. Some people are saying, like, no, they just realize that no one's ever done a scientific study to back up that flossing is good for you. And other people are saying, like, no, they did some studies and found that 
it, it, it doesn't do anything, which I cannot believe. We either just talked about this the last recording session or we talked about it on stage. Oh, we probably talked about it on stage because it came out while we were in the UK. Okay. Yeah. All right. But the idea that getting rotting food out from between your teeth has no positive health benefits for you is just, it defies explanation. Agreed. It was on stage because I made a crack about missing my teeth. Oh, yeah. I remember now. Uh, Feeding, uh, as far as them feeding on other things, uh, we talked about uh, these tentacles that they have to capture prey. Yeah. And these... Nematocysts, it's amazing. These basically, they're described in the article as venom bearing harpoons. Uh, so, what happens is there's a cue. Uh, it's either uh, something has touched them or it's a chemical uh, cue that something is around, and they shoot out this little harpoon, <laughs> and within 700 nanoseconds, it spears the prey and releases a toxin. Yes. And it's, it's frightening. It, yeah. If you. Um if you're a fish, you're in trouble. If you're another jellyfish, you're in trouble. Something smaller than that, you're just com- totally dead. And depending on the jellyfish, if you're a human being, you can die as a matter of fact, too. Yeah, should we talk about that, dude? Yeah. So the, um, there's the sea wasp, obviously, which has the most toxic venom on Earth as far as humans are concerned. Yeah. But then there's also another type of um, box jellyfish that are much tinier. I think they're about thumb-sized or peanut-sized. Yeah, you, can, you don't even see these things. Or if you do see them and they brush against you, you're probably not even going to feel the sting. They're yeah, so small. It's called a uh, irikanji. Yeah, which is a, um, an aboriginal word yeah. for, for this type of jellyfish, right? Mm-hmm. There's a dude in the 60s, a Westerner, who... Um, was like, what? what is with this jellyfish? I, I, I've heard weird things about it. I don't know much about it. I'm going to go out and let myself get stung by one. Yeah, and where can you get killed very easily by something at any given point? Australia. Yeah, exactly. Because they're the ones, they've got the sea wasps too. Oh, yeah. And they have to deal with the sea wasps and these little guys, the uh, Irukanji. Is that how we agreed we were going to say it? Yeah, Irukanji. Irukanji. So this guy survived, but he, um, not, not well. Or he had a hard time getting to the point where they're like, you're going to survive. Yeah, he was lucky to survive. Yeah. So you get a sting from one of these things, just a single tentacle apparently, in about 20 to 30 minutes, what's called uh, Irukandji syndrome starts to set in. Yeah. And you feel it in your lower back first, right? Yeah, and you don't know you've been stung, so you're just like, oh man, like I tweaked my back out there. Mm Mm-hmm. In the ocean, and then things really start going south. Yeah, then you go, And throw up your right kidney. Yeah, and this this article you sent said, it feels like someone hits you with a baseball bat in your kidneys, and then comes the nausea and vomiting, which continues every minute or so for around 12 hours. (laughs) Yeah. You get spasms in your arms and legs. Your blood pressure increases. Your skin begins to creep. It says as if worms are burrowing through it. Yeah, I saw saw a video of a guy who was stung, and he said it felt like, Someone was pouring acid all over my body. Yeah. From just being brushed by this thumb-sized, tiny little jellyfish. Uh, And then there's, this is the creepiest thing to me. It says, victims are often gripped with a sense of impending doom and beg their doctors to kill them. Yeah. Can you imagine? And they're spreading their range, actually. They found them off the coast of Florida. They found them off the coast of South Africa. Jeez. Yeah. So, yeah, they're not to be messed with. All right, so down with Irukandji, right? Have you ever heard that you should pee on somebody uh, who's been stung by a jellyfish? I've seen friends. 
So that's not true. Yeah, and they've a, actually found that it could make it worse. Total myth. Yeah, but there's actually some science to it, right? Yeah. So if you get if if you get stung by a jellyfish, if its tentacle hits you and and you're stung by a nematocyst, yeah, there may be some leftover ones still attached to your arm, right? Yeah. And you want to get rid of those, but if you get rid of them, if you pour say just fresh water on them, you're gonna trigger you're going to trigger the little harpoons inside yeah. because they're held in place by a specific concentration of solutes. Yeah. Right? So if you change that concentration by hitting it with fresh water, you're going to set them off. Yeah. So what you want to do... use seawater, right? Use seawater. Yeah. Because they're held in check in seawater normally. Yeah. So use seawater to wash it off, and then you take a credit card and scrape the rest of them off. Yeah. But or, peeing... Or some kind of, uh, you know, what, if, you, if you don't have your credit card on you. Sure. Fear not. But supposedly you're supposed to keep sand out of it, which yeah. is tough to do. Sure, I, I you're did probably a, at the beach. I did a don't be dumb on it years back. Oh, really? Yeah. On the, uh, what'd you do in the chair? All sorts of weird stuff. You remember? <laughs> uh, all right, well, getting back to the feeding, uh, we covered the, uh, the harpoon. The nematocyst. Of the jelly, but uh, the comb jelly, like we talked about earlier, the, um, this is the nematocyst. They have the glue instead of the venom. Right. So what they do is they just send out that fishing line and release that sticky glue, and it reels whatever it catches right on into the mouth. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Like something being sucked toward the Death Star. Yeah, exactly. A tractor beam. You got caught in a tractor beam, basically. Should we take a break? Oh, wait. There was one other thing. So one type of comb jelly, this is so awesome, they actually eat true jellies. And then they take their nematocysts and use them for their own hunting. How, like, how so? They, they, they like they absorb them? them yeah, and, and shoot them out in their tentacles. They save them? Yeah. <laughs> they tuck them in their cheek for later. Can they get an unlimited supply of these? I don't know. I was curious if you could see one with like 300 of them. He's but, like, look how many I've eaten. <laughs> it's like, don't be a pig. Sure. You spit some of those out. Uh, now can we take a break? Yes. All right. By the way, we just satisfied that one listener because you rejected my break. Oh, yeah, that's true. How about that? Man, a lie. All right. We'll be back and talk a little bit about defense. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. 
That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, car and driver's panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want. Guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Visit ebaymotors.com for more. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So jump in, buckle up, and listen to Car and Driver's Into Cars. Available wherever you get podcasts. All right, so I promised talk of defense. Um, these things, you've probably seen jellyfish and comb jellies that produce light, this bioluminescence. Although when I said earlier, the comb jelly, when it looks colorful, that is not bioluminescence. They are still bioluminescent, just not in that way. Right. It's a little confusing. They actually do produce light. Uh, they have these proteins that uh, have a chemical reaction to produce this blue and green light when something might touch it. And yeah, like moon jellies are well known for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're not exactly sure why, but they think that this could be a, a defensive mechanism to like either scare a, someone trying to eat you by turning a light on in their face yeah. or turning a light on and attracting something larger to eat that thing. Right. Either way, they think it's defense. And then alternately, some jellyfish have um, camouflage, actually. Not as good as the octopus. No, 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 not at all. Okay. But, I mean, obviously, some are, or most are transparent. It's pretty good camouflage. Yeah. Um, And then some of the deep sea ones are actually red. They produce a red pigment. And the red, apparently, is very, very difficult to see in deep water, which is like 200 meters or more. There's no light. Yeah, you'd think it would be black, but they say that and, the red is easier to produce than right, the black. Exactly. So, so black would work. It's just you try making black pigment, you yeah, know? Yeah. You can't. No, red. And red's the same down there. Yeah, red's it's the all, new black. It's all the same. So um, some of them do that, and then others have just red pigment in their gut. So right. that if they eat a bioluminescent organism, it's not going to accidentally attract a predator to come check ah, them out. Interesting. Yeah. See, this is really, the octopus is threatened in my heart. Still? A little bit, now that I'm talking about this again. It's unstable? We'll see. I'll give a final vote at the end. So to me, this is, now we get to the most amazing part. Well, one of the most amazing parts about jellies. Sexy time? Yeah. So. Which is not very sexy. No. Although it's like. Every kind of sex you can imagine, jellyfish engage in. Yeah. And not just different species, like individuals. Sure. Some are hermaphroditic. Yeah. Some are um, sexually uh, divided. Yeah. Some... Some are asexual. Yep. Some, yeah, some reproduce asexually. Sometimes in some species, like the moon jelly, I believe, they'll all get together in one big mass and uh-huh. just start swapping sperms and eggs. Yep. Spit them out of that mouth hole of theirs. Get some box wine. <laughs> right. The party's on. Put on Michael Bolton. <laughs> Throw your house your house keys in a big wooden bowl. <laughs> right. And there you have it. That's the jellyfish way. <laughs> uh, so the Medusa that, that you know and love is the main true jelly. They 
spawn. So what they do is they release a bunch of eggs and sperm into the open ocean. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times all together. And they do this from their mouth hole and take it in in their mouth hole. And uh, the sperm meets the egg and that's how it happens. Yeah. Ideally. Or um, in some kinds, the uh, the eggs stay in the mouth of the female, and the male just shoots sperm out into the water, and right. the sperm find their way into the mouth. That's sure. a way to go. Yeah. Or they fertilize outside in the water, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, and then in others, they're, uh, they, they don't even necessarily get together. Do the polyps? Yeah. They'll just be, like a polyp will just be sitting there spewing out sperm or eggs gametes yeah like all day long uh-huh uh one one type spews out like 40 46,000 a day every day all the time um and then the whole idea is that eventually maybe it'll run into another gamete and fertilize out there. oh that's the comb jelly actually oh is that a comb that does that yeah okay uh the polyps are the ones that are asexual and they just bud and divide in half basically to produce a little identical buddy, and then uh, that can stay a polyp or it can uh, eventually become a medusa. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like a, The polyp is a, it's a stage of a jellyfish, the jellyfish life cycle. Oh, it can be. Which or, is or cool. Or it can be it. Yeah, that's like, true. You can, you can just stay a polyp or you can eventually become a medusa. Yeah, and we didn't say that the, the uh, depending on the jellyfish, it might live for a few weeks or a year. Yeah. Apparently, they, they do better in captivity and tend to live up to several years in captivity. Yeah, I get the idea they're pretty fragile out there in the ocean. Yeah. Um, but they can reproduce so frequently and so early on in their life cycle um, that they, they can populate an area very quickly to, to, despite having a very short lifespan. Yeah. Uh, and then in the polyp stage, some species can stay there for, well, basically almost indefinitely yeah. and just sit there and reproduce. There's a type of reproduction in the polyp stage where um, it's called strobilation. Uh-huh. And the little polyp is sitting there just shooting off these little discs, 10 to 15 at a time. Yeah. And they found that depending on the temperature of the water um, and the warmer the water, the more they strobilate. Yeah. Um, there'll be more and more uh, jellyfish that they just kind of shoot off. Like this article put it like shooting off clay pigeons. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then each one just transforms into a medusa. Man. That's amazing. It, yeah. Octopus? Yeah, it's in trouble. <laughs> uh, and then, oh, this is super cool. The uh, Turritopsis nutricula. It is basically immortal. It is a hydrozoan, and it can actually revert back to the polyp stage after the medusa stage through transdifferentiation and live forever, essentially, unless yeah. it gets killed, obviously, by something. Uh, and it is the only animal that anyone knows of that can do this. Yeah. Amazing. There's another type of turritopsis, too, that um, when it dies, it disintegrates, but it cells, some cells... As it's, as it's decaying, come back and form another individual. Yeah. So it basically fertilizes itself using its dying body and regenerates. This is like So Star it lives Wars. forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's tapped into the force. All right. So we talked earlier about these jellyfish blooms. Um, or outbreaks or plagues. Or yeah. Swarms. What else? 
That's it. Okay. Um, it, it's great that these things are uh, proliferating, like <laughs> other species that aren't, but it can get out of hand. It can uh, interfere with people. Uh, it can interfere with uh, machinery at, at power plants on the coast. Yeah. Uh, cause power outage, uh, outages, fisheries. Yeah. They can get in the way where people are trying to fish for something else, and all they're getting are jellyfish. Yeah, and there's been examples of all this stuff happening over time. Like, they shut down the USS Ronald Reagan once, which is a nuclear-powered warship. Yeah. Because it got a bunch of jellyfish got sucked up into the cooling system. Um, they've shut down power plants in India, in Japan, in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, and they think there's there's if there's a debate over whether comb jellies and jellyfish are related, there's a huge debate over whether or not we're seeing a natural outcome of uh, just jellyfish life cycles, these right. blooms. Like this is just happening. Yeah. Is this a normal thing or are we humans contributing to it? And if we humans are contributing to it, they basically say there's probably one of four ways that this is happening. Yeah, one of them is uh, overfishing, basically just less competition for food. Yeah. Uh, they, they're eating this zooplankton. And if other fish that normally eat that aren't there, then the jellyfish like sweet. More for me. Big and buffet open. Apparently jellyfish do, are not known to um, go on diets. They just gorge themselves constantly. Really? Yeah. What else? Nutrients? Yeah. When we, uh, when we release fertilizers from cropland uh -huh. into areas where jellyfish live, we can cause algal blooms. Yeah, it runs off eventually into the sea. Yeah, and it actually can deplete oxygen. So there's two things. One, you've got uh, a bunch of zooplankton and phytoplankton, which, um, well, I guess they're eating the zooplankton that jellyfish eat, right? Yeah. And then you have lower oxygen, which jellyfish can live in and survive in a lot more easily because, again, they have a much lower metabolism than most other organisms that they're competing for food with. Yeah. So their competition, again, is dying off while they're just like, this is great. I'll just keep eating more all day. Thank you, humans, for putting all this nitrogen and phosphorus in the water. You start to get the idea why these things have been around for 500 to 700 million years. Yeah, they can compete. Uh, climate change uh, with a warming ocean, um, some of those jellies love it. Uh, their embryos and larvae develop better and more quickly, so the populations grow more quickly, and uh, a lot of them prefer that warmer water. So they say, bring it on. Yeah, and they're actually, the, like I said, there has, was at least one study that um, looked at how jellyfish reproduce in warmer water, and uh, also water that's of uh, higher acidity, which uh -huh. they're predicting through ocean acidification. Um, which is the result of higher CO2 increases. And both of those suggest that jellyfish are going to do just fine under the climate change that we're facing. So cockroaches and jellyfish are the only things that are going to be around one day. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, what they call uh, ocean sprawl um, is, you know, we're building things out in the middle of the ocean now, uh, drilling platforms and docks and oil platforms, uh, hard structures and... Jellyfish, the polyps especially that we were talking about, that they attach to something, sand or Cheryl Ladd's belly button <laughs> is not the easiest thing to attach to. Oh, Cheryl Ladd was born without a belly button. That's um, her claim to fame. That was very insensitive of me. Uh, 
you just threw me there. <laughs> Sorry, man. So uh, what they do love to attach to is something solid. So they love um, they love attaching onto the ocean sprawl yeah. and oil rigs and whatever else is out there. And they do very well attached to a firm, uh, not the Cheryl Lads belly button isn't firm. <laughs> but it's just it, non-existent. Certainly not an iron girder. So um, there's this really great story about jellyfish and just how quickly they can take over. Yeah. Right? Um, in the Black Sea, uh, when a ship releases its cargo... Is it off the coast of Germany? Yeah. <laughs> no. It's the north and the Baltic. Oh, okay. Don't try and screw me up here. Sorry. This is the Black Sea, where uh-huh. they make caviar, right? Yes. Um, and actually, there are some... Um, like entire national economies are based on things like caviar and um, sardines and anchovies and just all these amazing fish. Oh, wow. And this ship apparently took on some seawater after it released its cargo to keep itself stable. Yeah. Right? And when it got to the Black Sea, it released it. And one of the things it released was this type of jellyfish called the sea walnut. And this was in 1982. Sounds cute. So the first sea walnut makes its way into the Black Sea in 1982. In 2002, the total biomass of sea walnuts in the Black Sea, just the Black Sea, was 10 times the total biomass of all the fish that were taken from the world's oceans by commercial fishing. Wow. It got jellyfied, basically. Holy and, cow. Yeah, and they were competing with... Um, the 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 um, other fish for the zooplankton and the food source and winning big time yeah and so all these fisheries collapsed all these economies were in trouble and then it just so happened that some other ship had picked up a different type of jellyfish that actually was a natural predator of the sea walnut uh, and came along and saved the day totally by a stroke of luck the sea walnut cracker <laughs> yeah wow yep I, I did see that actually you sent me that that's amazing yep. So it all worked out. Everything about jellyfish is amazing. Yeah. Final score for me, octopus 100, jellyfish 97. Ooh, that is close. It is. Nice. Just one three-pointer at the end could have won it. But it didn't. Nope. It it rimmed out. So uh, if you want to know more, you got anything else? Nope. You want to know more about jellyfish and comb jellies and that kind of stuff, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. That's right. It's 3 p.m., which means uh, our bedtime is just in about four short hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I actually tried to go to bed before my one-year-old daughter the other night. Yeah. And I said, no, that... That's bad parenting. Sure. You just, uh, so, you put yourself to bed. Oh, wait. And she finally drifted off at like 8.30 and I was out at 8.32. Nice. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to call this, uh, you helped me get married. Hey, guys. I recently got married to my beautiful wife. Congratulations. Uh, with whom I've been with for over eight years. Uh, while the prospect of being married to her uh, never frightened me at all, the thought of having to be in the center of attention, professing my love to my then fiance in front of all of our guests and try not to look like a dummy during the ceremony was, how do you say, nauseatingly frightening. Terrifying, excuse me. Um, yeah, Stephen was not, he's not a public speaker, I don't think. Gotcha. Uh, however, during the hours leading up to the ceremony, I kept my mind occupied by listening to the melodious tones of your voices, teaching me about, well, some things. I really don't remember. Honestly, I was a little occupied. So we were literally just like, what is it called, ASMR? Yeah. 
just these tones. He didn't even know what we were talking about. It was just the sounds of our voices soothed him, which is very nice. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, regardless, guys, everything ultimately went very well, and we are both now very happy to be together for good and uh, to not have to plan a wedding again. Uh, thank you for helping me get through the worst of my pre-wedding anxiety. I thought he was going to say the worst day of my life at first. <laughs> uh, and for making such a terrific podcast. And that is Stephen Hall, who's a PhD candidate in pharmacology. Well, thanks a lot, Stephen. Yeah. Congratulations. Send us some uh, Xanax. <laughs> Pop it in the mail. Just He's kidding. a candidate, a PhD candidate. He doesn't have access to that kind of stuff. Well, I guarantee you, he won't be a candidate anymore if he starts sending us Starts antics. mailing people pharmaceuticals. They'll give him his badge. Steven, don't listen to Chuck. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.